98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. The US slapped sanctions on Chief Executive Carrie Lam and 10 other senior Hong Kong and mainland officials over the national security law. Their property interests are to be blocked and there's a ban on providing them with any funds, goods or services. And everyone in Hong Kong is to be offered a free coronavirus test by the government. The US has slapped sanctions against Chief Executive Carrie Lam and 10 other top Hong Kong and mainland officials following Beijing's imposition of the national security law in the SAR. For more on this breaking story, Tom McAlinden is in the studio now. Well, as well as Chief Executive Carrie Lam, others on the sanctions list are Police Commissioner Chris Tang and his predecessor Stephen Lowe, Justice Secretary Theresa Cheng and the Security Secretary John Lee. The Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office Director Xiao Baolong is being sanctioned, as well as his deputies Zhang Xiaoming and Luo Huining. On top of these, there's the Director of the New Office for Safeguarding National Security, Zhen Yang Shong, Eric Chan, the Secretary General of the Committee for Safeguarding National Security, and the Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs, Eric Jung, 11 of them in total. Now, the U.S. Treasury Department says as a result of its action, all property and interests in property of these officials and of any entities that are owned directly or indirectly, individually or with others uh, in the United States, will be blocked. It also says that the prohibitions include the making of any contribution or provision of funds, goods or services by, to or for the benefit of these blocked people uh, and as the receipt of any contribution of provision of funds, goods or services are covered as well. On Carrie Lam, it says she's directly responsible for implementing Beijing's policies of suppression of freedom and democratic processes in Hong Kong. And it notes that she pushed for an update to the extradition arrangements in 2019 that set off the series of massive opposition demonstrations in Hong Kong. Tom McElindon joining us live in the studio. The US consulate in Hong Kong says it's ludicrous for anyone to accuse people who meet its diplomats of collusion with external forces. And they hold talks with people of all walks of life in the SAR, including pro-Beijing figures. Without referring to any allegations in particular, a statement says such claims underscore the fact that Hong Kong's new legislation is not about security, but to silence democracy advocates and threaten people engaging in free speech. The consulate says it would be an enormous tragedy if the national security law crushes the openness and diversity that has made Hong Kong so unique. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has announced that the government will provide free coronavirus tests to anyone in Hong Kong who wants one. She's dismissed privacy concerns surrounding the scheme, which the mainland is helping to run, saying people should stop spreading what she called misleading remarks and conspiracy theories. Wendy Wong reports. At a news conference against a backdrop that read Fight the Virus with Central Government's full support, the chief executive said the test will get underway in two weeks' time. The Sun Yat-sen Memorial Park Sports Centre in Sai Yingpun will be turned into a laboratory with 60 testing staff from the mainland. Carrie Lam said these workers will not have to register to work in the SAR. These personnel coming to help us to boost the testing capacity are not unqualified people. So please don't uh, misunderstand there are unqualified people to do medical laboratory tests and we are making them qualified. No, they are qualified in the mainland system, but they weren't to operate in accordance with the Hong Kong legal system. So our law does provide for the uh, exemption for certain categories of peoples. Mrs. Lam said the city's testing capacity will be boosted drastically with this help from Beijing and is needed, she said, because there could be around 1,500 silent carriers of coronavirus in the city.
The CE said she wanted to clarify the plan in advance, as there have been a lot of rumours and smearing, as she put it. On privacy concerns, she stated that testing staff won't know the identity of those giving the samples, adding that if anyone is still worried, they don't have to take the test. A staff member at a quarantine centre in Pokvulam is among 89 new confirmed COVID-19 patients in Hong Kong. Dr Trung Chuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection says the 22-year-old woman might have caught the virus after having worked at an elderly care home in Siwan San last month where an outbreak occurred. There's a slight possibility that she got infected then and then um, was detected now. But we cannot um, ascertain this according to her uh, investigation finding at the moment. So as a precautionary measure, quarantine centre will be closed for the moment. I understand from the um, relevant um, uh, government departments that uh, the case in the quarantine centre in Buffalo, he has... um, quite uh, good uh, personal protective equipment and the practice. But we will offer tests for all the other healthcare workers there to, to just to check if there is any asymptomatic infection. You're listening to RT8K. The time is just after five minutes past 11. Lawyers representing the government have cited the national security law as they argued that activist Joshua Wong should not be allowed a judicial review over his disqualification from last year's district council polls. Francis Sitt reports. Joshua Wong was the only person barred from running in last year's polls, with a Southern District electoral officer citing previous calls by the now disbanded Demosisto Group for self-determination for Hong Kong people. Barrister Margaret Ng, who represents Mr Wong, says an election petition isn't sought in this case because they're not challenging the poll results but the legality of the returning officer's exercise of public power. Ms Ng argued that District Council hopefuls would have already complied with current laws by signing a declaration form pledging to uphold the basic law and swear allegiance to the SAR. She argued that the returning officer does not have the power to look beyond the signature and consider other materials to determine the intention, sincerity and the genuineness of the declaration. That's because district council hopefuls should not be subject to the same requirement as electrical hopefuls, Ms Ng argued, as Beijing's basic law interpretation concerning oath-taking in 2016 does not touch on the district council. She said if the officer does have the power to look beyond the signature, it would be an infringement of the would-be candidates' freedom of thought and their right to stand for election, and the hopeful would also be facing discriminatory treatment due to their political views. Ms. N noted that Mr. Wong did make the declaration, and that still wasn't good enough for the returning officer. But senior counsel Benjamin Yu, who represented the government, disagreed, saying electoral officers do have the right to find out if declarations made are truthful or not. He also cited the national security law, which states that people who stand for election in Hong Kong shall confirm in writing to uphold the basic law. Mr. Yu also said that Mr. Wong can't simply go for a judicial review just because he wants to circumvent the election petition process and refrain from challenging the election result. The judge reserved his decision to a later date. The chairman of the Elderly Commission, Lam Ching Choi, has warned that the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on older people in Hong Kong may not have become apparent yet. Dr Lam says in many developed countries, the situation has led to a rise in suicides among the elderly. Damon Pang reports. Speaking at an elderly forum, Dr Lam said in countries like the US, suicide rates among the elderly have climbed as their lives are seriously affected by the pandemic and lockdown measures. 
The Executive Council has said many elderly people feel more lonely now because of restrictions implemented to prevent coronavirus outbreaks. He said IT could play a vital role in helping these people, but said Hong Kong is way behind on this, citing public hospitals as an example. The current public hospital system can be said to be of zero technology, he said. For example, patients are still forced to wait for a long time or in the same place to get their medicines. Dr Lam also said that neighbouring Macau is able to provide better facilities at care homes for the elderly and he urged Hong Kong society to reflect on the shortcomings here. The chairman of the Elderly Services Association, Kenneth Chen, said at a seminar that the environment of residential care homes in Hong Kong is poor and he is worried there will be more coronavirus cases in these facilities. He also called for the use of technology to overcome difficulties people face during the epidemic, suggesting video calls could be arranged to let family members know how their loved ones in care homes are doing. A migrant workers group has called on the government to prevent foreign domestic workers from staying in overcrowded dormitories by providing them with free accommodation and food during the pandemic. The Mission for Migrant Workers says thousands of workers are stuck in extremely crowded and unhygienic dormitories operated by employment agencies, where the coronavirus can easily spread. Over the past few days, at least two helpers who had stayed at boarding houses have tested positive for the virus. The group's community relations officer, Johanny Tong, says the government must address this pressing problem. We call on the Hong Kong government to provide free accommodation and food assistance for all domestic, migrant domestic workers who are in need. We call on the Hong Kong government to set clear guidelines for dormitories of migrant employment agencies during the pandemic. Video sharing app TikTok has threatened to take legal action in American courts against Donald Trump's executive order banning anyone under U.S. jurisdiction from doing business with the company's owner, ByteDance. This comes as Beijing accuses the United States of suppression over Mr. Trump's order, which also covers WeChat. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin says the U.S. move comes at the expense of American users and companies. An IT expert has warned that America's plan to drive out some Chinese tech companies could deal a blow to the sector's development here in Hong Kong. Washington has cited privacy concerns for a new program aimed at rooting out Chinese tech firms and products from the US market. The honorary chairman of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation, Francis Fong, says now that Washington has revoked Hong Kong's special status, tech companies here could also be affected. He spoke to Candice Wong. These tech companies in Hong Kong, especially startups, they will have to think twice about when they are going to have their service provided globally. And also they have to think about not just uh, business factors, but also political factors when they are having a new fundings coming in. Where are these fundings are coming from? Which country? And then and where are you going to deploy your service? It, it, it's now getting very politically that uh, these things are all interrelated. And in the long run, does that affect Hong Kong's IT development here? Um, would we be expecting a slower IT development here? Uh, I think the IT development will will definitely be hindered by these factors, uh, not just because of the sanctions from the U.S. to restrict the uh, technologies and uh, products coming into Hong Kong, but also because of this clean uh, network uh, program. The tech company have a lot more factors to consider right now when they are having their office in Hong Kong.
with the U.S. also ending uh, the practice of granting special status to Hong Kong, some Hong Kong companies would be regarded as Chinese companies. Would Hong Kong companies be targeted under this plan then? I think you have to talk about it case by case. Hong Kong company is no longer a uh, Hong Kong company anymore. They have a piece of China in the eyes of the U.S. government. So I think now they, are, they will be looking at all the Hong Kong company more precisely and carefully of their background. For example, on the clean carrier, if they don't allow Chinese telco to work there, then it means, for example, in Hong Kong, we may have these Chinese telco also operating in Hong Kong and China, and the connection to the U.S. may be affected. And so the uh, IDD rate will be affected, the roaming charges will be affected. For apps and app store, because I think there are a lot of mobile apps developers in Hong Kong, they may actually be seen by the U.S. government as a Chinese company or they actually they have uh, some investor from China. So they may be uh, taken off from this app store because of that. A court in Fosan has sentenced a Canadian to death for transporting and manufacturing drugs, the second Canadian in two days to receive a death penalty for drugs offences on the mainland. A local media report says Ye Jianhui was caught with 218 kilograms of white crystals containing ecstasy. Ye is the fourth Canadian to be sentenced to death on the mainland since Canada detained Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou in 2018, leading to a sharp deterioration in relations between Beijing and Ottawa. Sports now and in football, a look at this weekend's Champions League action with the BBC's Rob Schofield. Europe's Premier Club competition is back, but it looks very different. The Champions League will be completed this month as an isolated one-off knockout tournament in Lisbon. But before that can begin, there are some outstanding second legs of last 16 ties still to be completed behind closed doors. Bayern Munich are expected to get the job done against Chelsea on Saturday, leading 3-0 from the first leg at Stamford Bridge. But Barcelona may have a tougher task, drifting and divided in the boardroom with financial difficulties and the future of Lionel Messi unclear. They host Napoli, who've recently won the Coppa Italia. The tie is level at one all from the first leg, and although Barca are unbeaten in 35 Champions League matches at the new Camp, they look very fragile indeed. Questions are being asked whether Kike Setien is compatible with his players. A run of three draws in four cost them La Liga, and with injuries in defence and suspensions in midfield, the team could be short-handed as Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli aim for a first-ever quarter-final. The winners of both these matches face each other in the last eight in what is a very one-sided draw. That and the new format could easily see the Champions League throw up a surprise winner in what's been one of the strangest seasons the game has ever seen. The BBC's Rob Schofield. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The US slaps sanctions on C.E. Kerry Lam and 10 other senior Hong Kong and mainland officials over the national security law. Their property interests are to be blocked and there's a ban on providing them with any funds, goods or services. And everyone in Hong Kong is to be offered a free coronavirus test by the government. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The MPC Standing Committee is due to meet from tomorrow to decide how to deal with the legislative vacuum that the year-long postponement of the LegCo elections has created. Pan-democratic lawmakers, meanwhile, are expected to open discussions on what they should do regarding the stopgap legislative council likely to be set up. But political commentator Cheng Chor Yung told Janice Wong that there are no good options left for the opposition camp. The first one, of course, is they can continue to sit in the 
uh, I don't know whether it's called provisional legal or the extension of the present session of the uh, legal or, or what. But uh, that, that would be one option for them to continue to be legislative council members um, uh, for, for the coming 13 months or so. The other would be then um, they just boycott it and then they may resign or on block uh, to protest about the decision to delay the September 2020 electoral elections. But both options, in, in fact, are not very good options for them because that means um, the September election is being delayed and the people could not really exercise their right to vote in order to express their discontent against the government. And uh, the pandemic's meeting comes as the MPC Standing Committee is expected to lay down clear guidelines on how to deal with uh, the one-year vacuum at LegCo because of the postponement. What do you think it will do about the one-year vacuum? I would say that the least controversial decision for them really is to allow all the existing natural members uh, to continue to serve the the Legislative Council in the coming year uh, because other uh, so-called attached conditions or the so-called four disqualified uh, candidates for the September election, those incumbent legislators being disqualified, uh, I think all this would be quite arbitrary and could not really convince the uh, people that uh, it is a legitimate decision. So I would recommend them to really, the the, the least controversial way to do is really to allow all the serving members in NETCO to serve in the forthcoming year. If uh, the four incumbent opposition lawmakers you're talking about are not really uh, not allowed to keep their electrical seats, what real impact will there be? I mean, uh, for example, on the constitutional order here or Hong Kong's international image? I, I think technically or legally, it's difficult to mix the two. Even though they are being regarded as disqualified for the September election, it doesn't mean that they are disqualified to serve in the current legislative council. And if you look at uh, some of the uh, uh, candidates being disqualified, they are also serving the district councils. Then do you mean that they are also being uh, expelled from the current district councils or some other people like uh, uh, who, who, who was also disqualified for the village committee election, I think last year or the year before, I can't remember the exact date. But he, he still was serving the legislative council after that. Therefore, I think there's very slim legal ground to really disallow them to continue to serve. And politically, both internationally and locally, it certainly would lead to um, much opposition or boycott or even sanction by people in Hong Kong and also overseas. The chairman of the American Chamber of Commerce says despite worsening U.S.-China relations, political uncertainty in Hong Kong and the national security law, most of its members are staying put. Robert Greaves told Mike Weeks that Hong Kong is still a great place to do business and this has stopped any exodus for the time being. We've gone through Sino-U.S. trade war, we've gone through protests, we've gone through COVID-19, we've had the national security law, and now we're having issues over technology. It's all of a piece and our members want to stay in China, in greater China, and do business. It's a great place to do business and so we're weathering the storm. And I think our members are basically for all of these things, Mike, taking a wait-and-see attitude. Okay. Is it having any impact, though, on their operations at the moment? Not at the moment. It's too early to tell, I think. Are you concerned at all? I mean, obviously, this is a a war 
a Cold War, a trade war that's going on between the US and China. Are you concerned about retaliation on your members from Beijing? Well, that's always in the back of our minds. I mean, this whole issue of decoupling is, uh, to our minds, quite dangerous and should be unnecessary. But um, this is the world we live in right now. And we, we always have this in the back of our, our minds. And we're trying to uh, uphold the laws and regulations of Hong Kong and mainland China, as well as to uh, be good citizens if you're a United States citizen. So we're, we're walking a bit of a fine line here. And uh, we would love to have some clarification over how all of these things are going to affect business in the long run. At the same time, we've got senior U.S. and Chinese officials reportedly set to restart talks over their phase one trade deal next week. So there is at least some dialogue going on and some hope. Yes, and we appreciate that. And, and we hope that will continue. I mean, the, the, uh, the revocation of, of the special trade relationship between the U.S. And Hong Kong has also been another worry. I mean, we're faced with the multiplicity of issues that, could, that are affecting or could affect business. And we're just seeking clarity and continuing to do business, our members are, as we move forward. So this is just one more element, Mike, that we have to contend with. I know surveys among your members and uh, the members of other chambers of commerce have showed a lot of companies are now very concerned and are indeed thinking about leaving Hong Kong. Are any actually doing so at the moment, as far as you know? Well, that's, a, that's a great question, and we're asked that all the time. And in fact, uh, the answer is no. We don't see a mass exodus. We haven't seen, in fact, many companies at all leave. And we know that there's a, there's a percentage of our membership that's drawn up contingency plans that are thinking about going, but nobody's actually headed to the exits, as far as we're aware. Do you think, I mean, being a bit cheeky, that now everyone's looking towards November, including Beijing, to see if there'll be some change at the top in the U.S.? Well, there could be some change at the top, but um, you, when you think about China and the U.S. and the anti-China sentiment in, in Washington, that's bipartisan. So uh, there might be a different tone in a different manner, but if a Democratic president uh, assumes office in January, there's still going to be an animus against China, and we're still going to be dealing with that. But it wouldn't be perhaps quite as uh, bombastic or virulent as it's been under President Trump. Um, well, that's all speculation, but perhaps not. A survey of hundreds of musicians in Hong Kong has found many are in dire circumstances due to being unable to perform at venues as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Chris B, who runs an original live music community known as The Underground, which showcases Hong Kong bands, launched a week-long survey on July the 28th. Among the 648 musicians who responded, she found that 70% of them had lost between 40 and 100% of their income due to COVID-19. Some reported they have ended up homeless. Chris B told Anna Marie Evans that one of the key problems is that many musicians are not eligible for subsidies the government has made available. And I think actually the, the survey results shatter a few myths because when I was reaching out to musicians in Hong Kong, a lot of them were like, oh, they're just transients. They're not Hong Kong residents. You know, the government won't help them. And it was actually quite a shock to see 93 percent 
are Hong Kong permanent residents, so they've been here longer than seven years, right? You know, there was another myth going around going, oh, musicians just do it for fun or it's just part-time or something. So I think perhaps if musicians themselves told me this, <laughs> that maybe people in the government also have this same belief and didn't, didn't take this sector of, you know, arts and music seriously and realize with the ban on live music performances, then the ban on venues, it means it's really affected uh, these musicians' lives, right? Yeah, you're, I mean, you're saying that some of them actually are in quite a dire predicament. 5% of musicians of those replies are currently being evicted and 3% of musicians have become homeless. So it's interesting data that you're picking up there now. But didn't actually the government put forward aid for the entertainment industry? Yes, they announced that they were giving the Hong Kong Arts Development Council $115 million dollars to give to the cultural people, to self-employed practitioners, freelancers and stuff. And people, including myself, were very excited when we saw it. However, it turned out that they were only awarding that funding to people who worked in a government venue or were putting on an event in a government venue. So, like, if you were performing in a government venue, you could apply for the funding. But if you were performing in, like, a commercial or even semi-semi, like, not a government venue, but they were just rejected. And I know many, many musicians who applied and were just rejected, yeah. Then when the government had their second, you know, second thing of helping self-employed people, because a lot of freelance musicians are self-employed, right? Some of them are sole proprietorships or whatever. And people got excited, go, well, at least we can get that 7,500. Then it turned out they needed an MPF account in a self-employment status, right? Which many people, they might have had one before they became freelance and just kept it on, right? Because... I think maybe people weren't that aware or whatever, but that meant they were rejected. Also remember that MPF is only up till you're 65. There are a few working musicians who are 65 and over, so they're not even allowed to have an MPF account, <laughs> right? So there was a lot of restrictions and a lot of things in the way of these musicians from getting even that tiny bit of help from the government. Sri Lankan President Gotabaya Rajapaksa has declared victory in the country's parliamentary election. His brother Mahinda Rajapaksa is expected to be installed as Prime Minister, having held the role as caretaker since November. The Sri Lanka People's Front secured a two-thirds supermajority of seats needed to carry out its promised constitutional changes. RTHK South Asia correspondent Murali Krishnan spoke to Anna Marie Evans about the significance of the Rajapaksa brothers' election victory. For the Rajapaksa brothers, and even they never expected such a landslide victory to win almost about 146 seats in the 225 member legislature, which is a majority of nearly 65%. So, clearly, the fact is, I think the people in this election they are, uh, have voted for stability. More importantly, is also that this is a family which has ruled uh, Sri Lankan politics for over two decades, and they have seen the, the Tamil insurgency. One of them has was responsible for uh, Gotabaya. He was a former army officer uh, and uh, he crushed the insurgency. And uh, it, is, um, it, is, it is a victory which, uh, which, which, was, which was not surprising, but they didn't expect the, the, the limit of this victory was certainly has taken many aback because considering the fact that uh, United People's Party, uh, led by 
Ronald Wickremesinghe. He was a former prime minister, and he had almost about 106 seats in the outgoing parliament, and he's been just reduced to one seat. So therefore, it's a clear indication that this family is, is, uh, is out to rule this island nation for many years, and more importantly, is that something which perhaps the minorities may feel slightly apprehensive about, is that the, that the brothers can possibly bring about constitutional changes. Indeed. I mean, the fact that, uh, as you say, the president uh, in his previous role as an army officer crushed uh, Tamil dissent means that this is good news for the Sinhalese. It's bad news uh, for the Tamils. So really, what could they be doing in terms of when you say about the constitutional changes? I mean, is this going to result in dissent and criticism being increasingly uh, not allowed? What does this also mean for free media? Well, these are, these are right now speculations, and it's still very early days what could possibly happen. But given the mandate that this party has uh, achieved, you know, I don't think they would like to sort of disrupt that bad, uh, that good feeling immediately. But what, what, what they will definitely try to do is, over the months and perhaps years, is to consolidate. And I guess that would be what the game would be. You know, uh, you know, I was talking to many political pundits out there, and uh, what, what the, so to, to understand what this huge popular mandate means, and and basically they said that the strong, a strong Sinhala Buddhist leader, uh, Mahinda, that's what is known as MR, he's the most popular, and Gotabaya, often called Gota, he's now the most powerful, and uh, basically now they have to, uh, they will considering the mandate they won, they would have to now, for the moment at least, focus on development, focus politics, and perhaps not turn it into a racist ethnic politics, which Sri Lanka is known for in the past. And I guess this, this is a sentiment and the mandate which they will respect for a while. But, uh, but and, and more importantly, I think huge economic challenges await the new, awaits the new parliament when it, it's uh, reconvened. So these are, I guess, the immediate tasks before them. Uh, and uh, and I think this is something they would they, this would be on top of their minds also when they uh, when, when 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 Parliament is reconvened. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back, but you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips: don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. Radio 3 Weather. Well, look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly fine apart from some isolated showers. Minimum temperature of around 28 degrees. It'll be very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of a whopping 34 degrees Celsius with winds that are light to moderate southeasterlies. The outlook, very hot on Sunday with sunny periods and a few showers in the following couple of days with more showers due midweek next week. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low with readings of 1 and 2. At the observatory, air temperatures 29 degrees Celsius, relative humidity 84% and the very hot weather warning is in effect. I can still remember how
how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died So bye-bye Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And then good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write Stole his thorny crown The courtroom was adjourned 